Good morning. It's uh, this was like seventh time lucky this morning there because of my inability to press a button. Uh, one universal truth that I think every single person on the planet can agree on is it is good to have someone to listen right? It's just good whenever you know that you have someone who will sit and listen, someone who will take the time to understand you, someone who will listen to whatever it is that's, that's on your heart that you want to share. And I'm sure as I say that for many of us, our minds go to different people, friends, family, colleagues, neighbors, whoever it might be. For me, I have someone incredible who always listens She's near enough always around the house when I need her to be around the house. When I talk, she's there. She understands me. She, she can listen out just for that moment whenever I need to speak, when I need to say something. And, and she understands just everything about me. And in case you don't know my full family, uh, her name is Alexa. <laughs> so it is. She is wonderful. She is this incredible woman in my life. I have another incredible woman in my life called Laura, but, but Alexis, she just gets me. Like, she knows my taste in music. She, I can just whisper her name and she listens. She doesn't really talk back. Um, and whenever I speak, she never interrupts. It's incredible. And, and so Alexa came into my life. She's been in my life for about three or four months now. It's been world-changing for some of you. Christmas might just bring this wonderful woman called Alexa into your life as well. But I have to be honest, the day that Alexa arrived in our home, she was almost sent packing. I was like, get your stuff, get out. Because our kids discovered Alexa. More importantly, Matthew discovered Alexa. And so I'm standing, we've put Alexa in the kitchen. That's quite chauvinistic, isn't it? Alexa stays in the kitchen, but we've put her there. She's, she's in the kitchen. And, and so I'll be in because I'm, I'm doing the dishes. Balance it up, balance it up. I'm doing the dishes and I'll say, Alexa, play, play a bit of Foy Vance, play a bit of, play a bit of Glenn Hanser, play a bit of, and she puts it on. My kids are standing at the door and they're going, <laughs> there is a code. The code unlocks a magical world. And so my kids start in to using Alexa. Cue Matthew and his first ever experience with Alexa. Now, you might think that's a pretty good start. We got there eventually. Yes, he had to shout over Hugh Jackman to get to that point, but Matthew, not happy with his sister intervening, wanted to be in control. This is a story that just kept going and kept going and kept going. Here is season two in the documentary of Matthew and Alexa. (laughs) 
Don't ever believe that life in the Farrell household is easy, plain sailing. Alexa has changed everything. How do you make yourself heard when your sister is like, Alexa, Alexa, it's the arms, it's everything that's going because he wants to make himself heard. And, and for us this morning, we step into this moment, this date of December 1st, we step into this season of Christmas, this season that is so unbelievably unique to the Christian faith, where God makes himself heard, where God speaks through the noise of the world, where God speaks over empires and powers and everything that moves, and God speaks truth, and God speaks hope, and God speaks love into our world in a way that we cannot argue against. It's so clear and undeniably him. You see, God didn't just speak the world into being. God stepped into the lives of human beings. God stepped in and he walked amongst us. Hope is here. God speaks and the world listens. It says this in Psalm 116 verse 5, the Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. God steps into our story in Jesus so that he can understand us, not just to empathize with us, to empathize, we, we understand what it's like to be someone else, but to have compassion, to speak in action and to speak in love. And so this morning, we celebrate that hope is here, that God is a God of action. But there's a real risk, and the real risk is this, is that these stories, they get so wrapped up in this time of year and twinkly lights and trees and everything else that they almost start to feel a little bit like, like myths and fables, stories of things that happened in a different time in a different place, and, and it wasn't really real life. And I think sometimes even for us, it's why we're, we're drawn to certain parts of the story of God that he's written down in the Bible. So for me, if I'm sitting down to read any of the Gospels, I go to John. Because John is an artist. John takes his pen and he starts and he talks about, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And you're like, wow, this is incredible. He wants to take us on a journey. He wants us to understand what it, what it felt like to be there, to be one of those followers that saw this story unfold. And yet, in contrast to that, we've got Luke. Luke is a doctor and, and Luke is a historian. So he's not so much concerned about inspiring us. He wants to inform us. He wants to remind us that this is a story that happened in a specific time and in a specific place and in a specific way. And so he wants us to know the facts. And so this morning we're going to read from Luke. And we're going to read seven verses that if we didn't understand the full context of what was going on, we might just believe that these are seven of the most mundane verses in Scripture. Luke chapter 2, if you have a Bible with you, starting at verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available 
for them. This is just one small slice of human history, just seven verses. And in it, there's nothing that jumps out as being hugely significant in the words that are written on the page. There's nothing that jumps out to tell us that this is a moment where where time and, and place are significant because history has changed, a moment has happened, heaven has stepped on to earth. And yet when we grasp the fullness of what is going on, everything that has been promised before, everything that is happening now, we realize that this is a moment where God is unwrapping heaven on earth. The Bible isn't written in mythology, it's written in history. This was a time, this was a place. And for those of us who who know and follow Jesus, this represents a, a huge shift in how we see the world. When we talk about heaven, quite often most religions will talk about heaven as being, being up there or, or, or after here or somewhere. It feels like there's this, this wall, there's this divide between us and there, heaven above and, and earth here. And yet it's in this moment that we realize there's no wall between heaven and earth. It's, it's but a veil. And God steps through that veil. Jesus steps into our place and our time to walk amongst us as people. And so when God steps in, heaven crashes into earth. And this morning, I want us to focus uh, on this story. But uh, I guess so often the focus in the Christmas story is, is rightly on, on Mary and as she brings Jesus into the world. But this morning, uh, I want us to look at a slightly different angle. I want us to think about Joseph. I want us to think about the journey that he was on. The part that he had to play in this journey. Around the world, so many people, they, they worship, they venerate Mary because of her role in, in this birth of Jesus. But when we look at the way even Luke writes, there's nothing hugely significant about Joseph. In fact, there's two words right in the middle of the, the seven verses that probably sum up his role in the story. So, Joseph. That's his role. That's his, his part that he plays. We don't know a huge amount about him. We don't know a huge amount about his story before. We don't even know a huge amount about his story afterwards. He's just so Joseph. And the reason why I want us to focus on Joseph this morning is because I think in, in our own lives, in many ways, we, we want God to show up in the kind of merry type moments, don't we? We want the, we want the supernatural We want the unbelievable. We want that moment where God shows up and we can go, wow, that is so undeniably you. And yet, we have so Joseph. What did Joseph do? Well, he was there. I have two kids. Laura gave birth to them, and I was there. (laughs) Laura did all the hard work and went through the pain of labor, and I was there. I was just there. I, was, I almost felt useless to the story, but I want us to see this morning that Joseph's role that he plays speaks so much into what life should be lived like. Because we, we don't know much about him, but what we do know is this, is that as God considered sending his son to earth to come in this vulnerable form of being a baby, as God looked across the world, he saw this one person, thought he could be the caretaker of my son. He, he could look after this boy. I'm going to give him that responsibility. And for Joseph, for him, so much of this was about making the right choices. He had to be in the right place. For Mary, Jesus was going to be born wherever Mary was. 
But Joseph, he could have missed the most significant moment in human history. He had to choose to be with Mary. He had to choose to be in that time and in that place. Because you see, Bethlehem wasn't necessarily the right place for Joseph, but it was the right place for Mary to be because it was the right place that God wanted Mary to be. It was in this moment that God was going to show that everything that had been pointed to before was coming true. All those prophets, all those words of of knowledge about what was going to happen in the future, all of them were going to be fulfilled in this moment. And so God needed them to be there. And so what Joseph needed to do was not to be in the right place for himself, but to be in the right place for God. And so Joseph shows up. He plays his small but significant part in the story. And I think for me, the challenge is is so often, and when I think about God's story and what he's doing in the world, I want to be in the right place for me. But the reality is when we give our lives to Jesus, it's not about being in the right place for us. It's about being in the right place for others so that God can work through us and show them that hope is here. This is is where you sit this morning. You may not be into geography, but you're at 54 degrees, 0.727910 of latitude. You're at minus 5.811976 of longitude. That is exactly where this assembly hall here is in Carrickfergus. This is where we find ourselves, 54.7. But wouldn't it be a tragedy if at the end of our lives we could look back We saw that God was moving at 54.8. We were so close to the kingdom, but we weren't living fully in the kingdom. God has places that he needs us to be, possibly not the right place for us, but certainly the right place for him and for others. And it's not just about uh, being in the right place. It's about being there at the right time. We read in verse 5 onwards. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. Now, I don't claim to know uh, much about pregnancy. What I know about pregnancy, you can write in the back of a postage stamp. doesn't even need to be one of the big Christmas postage stamps. It's just a regular size postage stamp. But, but I know a couple of things about it. One thing I know is that I will never, ever, ever talk to a woman about pregnancy. I just know, and, and men in the room, we all know you don't start that conversation, so you don't. So I could be standing in front of someone, they could be like 11 months pregnant, and, and I'll just be like, mm-mm, mm-mm, how's life, anything new, what's going on? Except for a moment this summer when I bumped into a friend of mine at New Horizon, and for a split second, my brain disconnected from my mouth. They walked past, and it was clear that, you know, there was something in the oven, Something small, but, you know, might have been a burger, don't know. But, uh, but in that moment, I just blurted out, and I couldn't, I couldn't help myself from saying it. I was like, oh, are you expecting? And then it was just like slow motion. <laughs> Silence, and I uttered up a prayer. I was like, God, please let her have a baby inside her. <laughs> she said, yeah, we are. And I was like, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Because we don't, we don't talk about it. We, we just know to, to stay away from that, that topic of conversation. But the one thing that I do know is this, is that timing is important. Karis, who's now just over five years old, uh, we found out that we were having Karis two weeks 
before we went on a trekking holiday to Nepal. It's good timing. Foreign food, different place, not sleeping in a normal bed. Let's go, Laura. Morning sickness. Come on. And so we headed off on this journey. It was possibly the most awkward, awkward timing imaginable. Certainly probably not the most enjoyable holiday that Laura has ever been on. But it's the timing in this story that's extraordinary because God needs Mary and Joseph to be in the right place. He needs them there at the right time. And in everything that's going on in Joseph's life, in Joseph's world, and all of a sudden this census is decreed where he has to travel, where he has to take what is presumably his very pregnant wife on the back of a donkey, which I imagine is not a comfortable journey for anyone yet alone, someone who is pregnant. He so easily could have turned to God in protest. No, 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 no. I don't think you understand. She is I am not going to take her on this journey. If she doesn't have the baby on the journey, the journey is certainly going to make sure that she has the baby. We are not going to Bethlehem. And yet, he goes. He's faithful. Because he needed Jesus to be born there. And the one thing that I I want us to take away this morning is if, if you want to experience in your life those moments where you see just a little bit of heaven come on the earth, You need to be ready for your life to be disrupted by God. You've got to be prepared to move to His timing. I can tell you this, the right time will pretty much always feel like the wrong time. There'll always be something else. Always be a, but you don't know God if that's where you need me to be. Right place, right time. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. To be at the the right place and the right time isn't enough. You have to be the right person. To be the right person, we need to allow God to to change us and to shape us and to mold us. Because God will not change anything in our circumstance or situation if he can't first change us. He's interested in who we are way before what we do. And so he's shaping us, he's molding us. And uh, the dilemma, I think, that for most of us is that we want to be people who bring change, but we don't often want to be people who are changed. And so the challenge for us is not to simply look out in the world and go, what can I go and do? What can I go and be involved in? But God, what are you trying to do in me? How can you form me to be the right person so I'm in tune with the right place and the right time? In the midst of all of this, we have so Joseph. Joseph, who performed no miracles. There's no real record of Joseph. He did nothing awesome. He did nothing that Luke felt was particularly significant to write down. There was nothing extraordinary. But here's the thing. Joseph was the one who God trusted to hold his son in his arms when he was powerless to care for himself. Joseph was the one that God trusted to ensure that Jesus was fed and cared for. Joseph was the one that God trusted to make sure that Mary and Jesus were kept safe. Joseph was the one that God trusted when he knew they would have to flee from Bethlehem and run to Egypt as refugees and that Joseph would be the one that would protect their very lives. Joseph was the one who helped form in Jesus that character that would set him on that journey that he would go to be the savior of the world. So, Joseph. 
I think sometimes if we want to know what Joseph looked like, we, we just look at his son. What an incredible dad he was to the Son of God, to step into this role and, and to be trusted to be the caretaker of Jesus in these early years of his life, to protect him, to look out for him. And as God looked across the world and as he looked for this specific family for this specific time and place, I think there's something about these seven verses that jump off the page at me about why God trusted Joseph for this moment. It's just one word, pledged. Mary was pledged to be his wife. We know the story well. They weren't married. This would have been culturally this, this hugely significant moment. Uh, and yet as God looked across the world, he knew that this man, even in her shame, he would not shame her that he stepped in because he knew that this was a man who would keep his word, who would stay true to what God was asking him to do. And so for us as followers of Jesus, we have to be people who are prepared to see God in the everyday, in the ordinary, in the so Joseph moments of showing up in the mundane so that other people can encounter the miraculous as we are faithful to the people around us, and as we're faithful to the God who loves them and wants to encounter them in moments where heaven touches earth. For me, I suppose I, I get to experience this in different places, and one of those kind of thin places, that kind of ancient Celtic feeling that there's places in the world where heaven just feels a little bit closer, one of those thin places for me uh, is Ethiopia. It's a place that we work in, in Stand By Me, where we care for uh, over a thousand kids. And for me, it's, it's one of those places every time I go, I'm just excited because I, I, I can see what God is doing. I can feel that God is shaping and molding and changing something inside of me as we get to go and step in, often in some of the mundane ways, just making sure that kids have enough to get by. But in the mundane, the miraculous happens. So this morning, I, I want to tell you about just two people. Uh, the first person I want to tell you about is, is this little girl here um, who's called Sifan. Uh, I met Sifan back in April. Uh, I was out in Dembodolo, uh, which is one of the schools that we support out in Ethiopia. It's this enormous, enormous town. Uh, and yet in this enormous, enormous town, uh, there's this tiny, tiny little home. And this is Sifan's house. Uh, rented for literally pennies a month. And as we stepped inside, there was nothing, just a mat on the floor. Nowhere safe to sleep, nowhere warm to sleep. And so we stepped in and we made sure that we fulfilled those mundane things. We got her a bed. For Sifan, she heads down, she collects her water from this filthy, filthy stream every day. And so we step in and we do the mundane thing. We make sure that she gets clean, safe water. And for Sifan, her mum, uh, to try and look after her three kids, she's a single mum, and so uh, she grows garlic at the side of the, the house, and a couple of times a week she heads down here to the market, uh, where she sells those little tiny cloves of garlic in the hope to try and make some money. And while she's there, well, Sifan, as many girls do, she stays at home. Uh, she stays at home, she grinds up the corn and the grain, she lights the fire, she boils water, she prepares a meal, she washes clothes, she washes dishes. This is her life. And we encounter her and we think that there's got to be more. And so we ask her, we say, Sifan, do you want to come here? Do you want to be part of our Abdi Academy school? Do you want to be part of this place of hope? 
that we have in Dembodolo? And she says, yes. And so every single morning she gets up and she puts on her uniform that we give her. She puts on her shoes we give her. She puts on her school bag that we give her. And she heads down with her friends. They wait, they walk around to our school and they arrive. Where again, some of the most mundane things in the world happen for them, but it's miraculous. Here is this little girl who turns up every single morning, gets breakfast, gets fed, gets food in her stomach, something warm to drink, something filling to eat. And then our kids, they head off to assembly, they hear about a God who loves them and who cares for them in those moments where heaven touches earth. Then our kids go and they learn and midway through the day they stop, they get their lunch again to make sure they're well cared for. Simple yet mundane things, yet incredible things happen as we go and as we just turn up in those so Joseph moments. We just do what God asks of us, to be faithful to people, to be faithful to him. And I chatted with Sifan, I asked her, I said, look, now that you're, now that you're in school, what's the dream? what does the future look like for you? And she said this, she said, one day I'd love to be a doctor. She said, because I'd be able to help my family, but more than that, I'd be able to help loads of other people. I thought, this is amazing. This is something miraculous. This is one of those moments where heaven touches earth and this child realizes that she is made for more that there is a way out of this cycle of poverty, that the mundane can be completely transformed. And I'll finish by sharing about uh, this home here. Uh, six months ago, whenever I was in Bokaji, I, I came back and I told you about one of our kids, Siraj, and uh, I suppose in a bizarre kind of coincidence, uh, the story I want to tell you about is another kid called Siraj from our school in Bokaji. Uh, this is his home, and to give you an idea of the geography, if you just look to the left of his home, you see a fence, uh, and that fence is the fence of our school. It's the back of our school, and, and this little home has sat there for 20 years. And if I'm honest, I never noticed it. Till Brooke, our director, he said to me one day, he said, Johnny, you know what? I've lived here all my life and the poverty still surprises me. And we walked around the corner and we, we stepped into this home that had no electricity, that didn't have a tin roof, it just had grass thrown on the roof. And, and Siraj's mum starts to explain that in rainy season, the river basically runs straight through uh, the middle of their home. Uh, and so this is her son, this is Siraj. And, start to ask questions about what her journey has been so far. And she explains that her husband passed away last year and and now she's trying to look after four kids on her own. And so what she does is she goes up into the market on a Saturday and she buys a little bit of cheese and she takes it on and tries to sell it to the next person and hopes that she'll make just a little bit of money. And then she goes back and buys a little bit more cheese and she takes it, she tries to sell it to the next person. And I asked her, I said, there's two market days in the week, so what does a good day look like for you? She said, on a really good day, I'll bring home maybe 50 burr, 1.50. If you get two good days in a week, it's 40p a day to look after your kids. And I asked her, I was like, how do, you, how do you get by? How do you even just make it day to day? And she said this, she said, I figured out I can afford to buy slices of bread. Not a loaf of bread, just slices of bread. I make sure my kids get fed first and if there's any left over, Then I look after myself. And in that moment, I stepped in and I was like, maybe this is the right place at the right time. What can we do? How can we do something mundane that might just be the miraculous in this moment? How can we be faithful to this woman? And so we have pledged to to support her and her family, 
uh, to send them food each month, to send them money each month, and we've pledged to build them a home, to give them somewhere that they can be safe, to give them somewhere where they can be dry, to give them somewhere that they know that they can be loved. And one of those little moments where, in the most mundane way it might seem, heaven touches earth. Lives are changed and shaped and, and transformed. And we've heard already uh, in a couple of weeks' time uh, in church on our Compassion Sunday, uh, we're going to be uh, doing a little bit of a challenge. You'll need to bring a raincoat for this challenge because we will be outside. Uh, and the challenge is simply this. Uh, we want you to walk a mile in the shoes of kids like Siraj and Sifan. We want you to walk a mile in their shoes because so, for so many of them, every day you walk up to a mile, either that's to go and fetch water or to get to school or to do chores, whatever it might be. And it's, it's going to make a significant difference. Um, this little welly boot normally lives in my office just down the road in Carrickfergus. Uh, I brought it back from Ethiopia uh, once, it was a few years ago now. Uh, one of our kids came walking in to school, a little boy, uh, with just this one welly boot on his foot. I know what you're thinking, how could you do that? How could you steal the one boot that he had? Now he's got no boots. That's, that's heartless. And, uh, and I saw him walking in, and I noticed straight away uh, that he had a problem. Obviously, he only had one welly boot, but the one welly boot that he had had a hole in it. Um, that's not a good thing, because you don't want to get water in your wellies. Water in your wellies is like the most pointless thing of welly boots. Uh, now, luckily for him, if he got water in his wellies, water had a way to get out of his wellies again. He had two holes in the bottom of his wellies. But as we looked at this, this pitiful, little foam boot, thought there's got to be something we can do. It might seem completely mundane, but actually in a miraculous way, this might be the moment that helps this kid to realize that God shows up, that God steps into his story, that God cares for him and that God loves him. And so we took him and we bought him a new pair of shoes and I asked him if I could keep his old shoe and it sits in my office and it reminds me that it's little things. It's being faithful in the small things that is so often where God does the big things. And so as we go and as we don our coats and scarves and hats and we take a few jerry cans and we go for a bit of a walk around the site, it's that sense of of not just empathy, it's that sense of compassion. It's that sense of what is it that we can do that can make a difference. Every year in Stand By Me, we have this huge challenge at this time of year because we've pledged, we've promised our kids uh, that every year that, that hope is here, that we will buy them a brand new pair of shoes. Uh, we have three and a half thousand kids around the world. That's 7,000 shoes. Uh, a pair of shoes works out roughly across the globe for us to cost about eight pounds a pair. Uh, we have none of that money. <laughs> but together, we can be part of that story. We can be faithful to incredible kids like this. We can step into the mundane and and hope and trust that God will use it to do the miraculous. Let's pray. God, we thank you that 2,000 years later, we gather here, and this time is significant. This season matters. This season sets our faith apart from every other human belief. Because God, you didn't stay distant you stepped in. God, we thank you for the miraculous way that you did that, for everything that that journey and experience must have meant to Mary, but for the faithfulness, for the simple act of turning up that was so Joseph. 
And so God, uh, today and as we go into this week, God, would we be faithful to you in what might seem like mundane things, but how we use our time, how we use our talent, how we use our treasure to point people to a God who loves them, who cares for them. That the people that we rub shoulders with, that people in an old people's home this afternoon who sing carols might realize that hope is here. We thank you that hope is here because Jesus is here. And so God, we pray in this season that you will work in the lives of our friends, our families, our colleagues, our communities. God, that you will work from the neighborhoods right out to the nations. That as we play our little part in, in doing what might seem mundane, God, miraculous things will happen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. That was wonderful. So today, 1st of December, first Sunday of Advent, as we look forward, as we long for the coming, the arrival, when Jesus stepped from heaven to earth. He stepped down from the security of heaven to show us what, who God really is. And we're so appreciative that God has stepped into many of our lives, that we have experienced him personally and deeply. And it's into this place, into this moment, into our hearts today, wherever we are, wherever we're at, God stepping down into our lives and bringing us hope. We love what Stand By Me do and does uh, from day one, whenever we started Carrack Vineyard, we have been giving uh, a portion of the money that you give to us, to this charity. Over the years, we've given thousands of pounds specifically towards the two schools in Ethiopia. I know that many of you as well uh, sponsor a child on top of that as well. It says thousands of pounds being invested into making a difference there. In two Sundays time, this church meeting will look very, very different. We urge you to come. Please don't think, oh, it's not a proper service. It is a proper service. We're just not going to sing. We're not just going to speak. But you're going to be the worship. You're going to do the worship. Some of you will want to join Johnny, probably myself, walking around the school, holding, carrying big, heavy water jerry cans. Some of you will want to bring and make up some gift packs on that particular morning. Some of you, uh, that might not be your thing, but you can sit quietly and write individual personalized Christmas cards to the staff of this school. And I've forgotten the fourth thing that we're doing. And, we're, and the we care and the leaflet drops. Some of you are going to want to go out into the local neighborhood and give a, an invitation. All these ways in which we can show as Jesus has stepped into our lives that we would step into a broken, hurting world. And that's what Christmas is really about. Isn't it? And the trees. And the mince pies. Guys, we're done. If you would like prayer for anything, we would love to pray for you. Make yourself known. But otherwise, we're done this morning. Grab a coffee, collect your children.
love and God bless.